Well, this Ask Wednesday, we once again begin this 40-day journey towards the resurrection of Jesus and celebrating that. And throughout this journey, we're always invited to consider the state of our lives, our need for the deliverance of Jesus, for salvation, and for Jesus himself, more of him in our lives. And one of the great stories of deliverance in the scriptures is the Exodus, where God rescues the Hebrew people uh, from slavery in Pharaoh's version of Egypt during that time period when he had enslaved the Hebrew people. And when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert lands, the people fairly quickly, according to scripture, grew tired and they grew weary and they grew scared. And, and, and they were hungry. I mean, they were hungry. There was like literal like human hunger and thirst. And so the people had followed God in faith. They'd followed God through Moses into the wilderness. And at the end of just a few days or a few weeks, they began to have their faith wane. Faith is hard when your stomachs are grumbling, when you don't have a place of permanence to lay your head. Faith is hard when you can't see the way forward or the way out. And it was in that utter helplessness that God brought help. He provided food and water in the wilderness miraculously. And, and from that point on, the Israelites have looked back to the Exodus as one of the most significant stories in their history with God. And as people grafted into that story, it's one of the most significant stories we have in Scripture as well as followers of Jesus. This day, or to this day, people all over the world celebrate the Passover to remember God's deliverance from Egypt and his provision in the wilderness. Now, fast forward several centuries, and the people of Israel are now in a new sort of bondage in the first century AD, uh, a different form of slavery. The Roman Empire had conquered their lands, and once again, they were not fully free, even in their own country. But there was more. It wasn't just bondage to Caesar or to Herod or to these political leaders. There's a, a bondage to sin and slavery and a way of thinking and feeling and acting that has blinded them in uh, the way of God in their midst. And so in Mark chapter 6, we get a story about Jesus teaching Jewish people in the wilderness and there not being enough food. The whole scene is ripe with Exodus imagery. And in the midst of this great need, Jesus multiplies five loaves of bread and two dried up fishes to feed over 5,000 people with 12 baskets left over, a little nod to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so not only did Jesus provide these specific 5,000 people uh, with food, uh, but his actions communicated that a new exodus was taking place. The, 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 the bread from, from heaven that God had once used to, to feed people was now walking among them, that God himself in Jesus had come to deliver them. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, God dwelling among them. What, what a story. And what's fascinating is that in Mark's gospel, two chapters after that story, we get another story in the wilderness with thousands of hungry people that Jesus miraculously, miraculously provides for. Listen now to Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days when there was again a large crowd, 
and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find food, enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and he broke them and he started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And as they served the people, and and they also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered all of these to be served as well. And they ate, all 4,000, and they were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over, of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. Immediately, he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanthua. This scene is so familiar, it's so similar to the feeding of the 5,000 that it has baffled Bible scholars and Bible readers for a long, long time. Like, what is, was this a different version of the same story and Mark just didn't know it was a different version of the same story, so he added it twice? Like, is Mark dumb or, like, what, what was the deal here? And, it, and if Mark did add this twice, like, why does it include, if he... If it is the same story, like, why did Mark include it twice? Like, why is this so important for him to put in the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God? As is often the case, I think the answers are in the details. Whereas the feeding of the 5,000 took place on predominantly Jewish territory among a crowd of Jewish people who claimed the Exodus as their own national history— The feeding of the 4,000 takes place in a predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish territory. The people in the feeding of the 5,000 were predominantly Jewish people hoping for a Jewish Messiah, hanging on every word of Jesus to see if he just might be the one they've been waiting for. And when Jesus sees the crowd of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, he says to, it, it says that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And of course, in the Old Testament, Israel were sheep and, and Yahweh was the shepherd. And so there's all of this Exodus imagery going on. But here in Mark chapter 8, there's another kind of crowd. A crowd of non-Jewish people who may not know much about the prophecies about Messiahs, but they were attracted to Jesus. No one had ever heard someone teach the way Jesus taught. No one had ever seen a man do the kinds of things for the kinds of reasons that Jesus did the things he did for the reasons he did those things. And so for three days, this crowd stays in the wilderness, hanging on his words and hoping to see his deeds. And maybe, just maybe, they could be part of what he was up to. In Mark 8, Jesus once again has compassion on the crowd, but not as, not as sheep without a shepherd, but as human beings. And that's good enough for him. 
Jesus sees them. He cares for them. He has compassion for 4,000 people who the ultra-religious would have written off as dirty, ceremonially unclean, pagans, sinners, people with the wrong religion, with the wrong morals and the wrong ethics. Right? And to be sure, the Gentiles of that land were involved in some pretty shady things. Like a lot of their religious practices, we would look at and say, that is extremely immoral, bad for your, uh, your health, <laughs> bad for your relationships. Uh, anyway, don't have to get into the weeds, mixed audience this morning. Um, but Jesus wasn't all of a sudden lowering the bar on holiness and simply deciding that all those commandments of God weren't necessary anymore. Far from it. What Jesus was doing is he was going to the place the people were rather than expecting them to wash themselves up and get to a certain point where they could come to him. Jesus sees the image of God in every human being, including you. And by his grace, including me. From a Jewish perspective, these Gentiles were outside the people of God, not likely in the group of of God's salvation and special care. They weren't his sheep. But through Jesus, God has come near. Through Jesus, God has reached out personally to all the people in the world, and he invites us to draw near. The way I see it, this is a fantastic Ash Wednesday text because it is both gracious as it is convicting to me. When I read this, I'm reminded of the good news that Jesus, at one point in my life, reached out to me when I was a young man. Jesus captured my heart when I wasn't looking for it. Captured my imagination of what life could be like. Jesus showed me grace and forgiveness through his word, yes, but also through the church, through people, who had grace for me, through a wife who has grace for me, through now a family who has grace for me. And I see Jesus and his love through all of those avenues. Friends, the Jesus who provides for the 4,000 pagans in the wilderness, who meets them where they are in their sin and idolatry and their ignorance, that's the same Jesus who's meeting you right now in your sin and in your ignorance and in your rebellion and in your apathy and in your pride. He is for you. And that's such good news. And this text convicts me. I'm convicted because even though I see my need for grace, and even though I know I could never and still can never earn my way to God's like, I don't know, my salvation, right? Like, I still feel judgmental towards other people who think differently and vote differently and interact with the world in a different way than I like, who who rub up against my sensibilities. I mean, that's just, do you resonate with that? Like, it's difficult to just be as gracious to everyone else as God is gracious to me. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. I'm convicted about that. I'm convicted that I may not have liked the 4,000 people in the wilderness, that I may not have been part of the solution to their need that I might have just simply watched from the sidelines with too little faith to engage. And this Ash Wednesday, I think we're reminded that Jesus meets us where we are, not where we wish we were. He doesn't expect perfection or a certain degree of holiness before we can come to him. 
He simply calls us to be honest and to repentance, desire to be more like Christ as Christ lives more in us. That I think I can swear with. That I think I can be right now. Today, churches around the world will gather to respond to Jesus' call to repent and to follow him. Many will be using sort of a liturgy or a, a readings similar to what we are right now. And I encourage us now to respond together to what's called a litany of penance. And um, this will, to me, it's, it helps me every year in that, a, uh, in that mode of repenting. It reminds me of the things like, oh yeah, I need to repent of that. And it also reminds me of God's grace. And so actually, even though that is on, like I'm gonna control the slides from my phone, I'm gonna go sit with you and um, we'll do this together. I'm part of this community.